0: We weren't created to do this alone, were we? Amen. Speaking of which, hi, stream. <laughs> I've had this neat kind of transformation in the last year. Livestream a year ago was kind of this neat other thing we could do that might keep people a little bit more attached if they were gone for having a baby or on vacation or whatever. But it really isn't until just recently I started going, you know, it isn't like those of us that are here and them that are out there. In the last year, it's kind of like we've all become us. Does that make sense? Like, us meets here, and us meets all over the place. And I, I I just was talking to a friend of mine. He and his wife are in Hawaii. And they're like, they're getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning to wait to, to watch church today. So, hi, Whitings. Good to see you. It's cold. It's snowing here. We all hate you. But I'm glad. I'm glad that you have tuned in this morning. I think about, like, um, oh, uh, like, like Dennis and, and Jeannie, who just... Wonderful, wonderful people greet at the door and all that stuff. And Dennis had a stroke and so it's you know, now they're they're kind of laying back a little bit. I'm glad they can be a part of this. I think about, like, Dave and Shirley Alger. How many you guys know Dave and Shirley Alger? Just about every picture in the foyer way of somebody greeting somebody, it's, it's Dave or Shirley, and they're home this morning, and, and uh, we just we miss them. I think about Don Brock, who's out in California. I think about Matt, who lives in a village in Thailand. I think about our friends in Italy and Mexico and Eastern Europe. Um, I think about somebody I've never met before, but evidently Great Britain, gets up and watches the, the message or stays up and watches the message. And I owe her uh, the first copy of the new book that I'm a third of the way through. Somebody say amen. Third of the way through. And that's, that's when I'm done with it, that's what I give to somebody else. They butcher it and we start all over again. So a third of the way of the first draft of that, right? The ugly, ugly first draft. But I just, I just wanted to do this this morning before I got in the Word and open your Bibles to First John. We'll be getting there in just a second. But I want to pray for us. Not, not just us, but us. All of us. And if you're on live stream today, I, I ask you, man, close your eyes with us. Bow your heads. You're not out there you're in here. We're not in here. We're out there. This is the body of Christ. And the neat thing about that is, is we can spiritually, and Paul says, I'm with you in spirit. Jesus says, I'm with you in spirit. We can literally, not physically, but but no less real, be together even though we're not together. Does that make sense? So Father, thank you for those that are a part of this, whether they're in Hawaii or Thailand or Great Britain or Fenton, God, thank you for for the us that you have made us to be through this last year. Thank you that we never have to face a tomorrow without us, the army of us that you've given us to go through this life with, such a blessing. I pray that you bless us and make us a blessing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. So um, two weeks ago, we started talking about love God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Last week we came back and did what was I, I guess was a difficult teaching. It it felt a little awkward at times, but it, I had someone come up to me and say, "Man, it took a lot of guts to say that." I went, "Oh my gosh, what did I say?" You know, but putting the right along with the righteous. We're we're not just righteous, but we're also right. We have an intelligent conversation. We don't take the easy way out. We don't quote. Uh, a verse of the Bible, even though we believe it's true and it's righteous to believe it's true, but we don't quote it as if that's the end of the conversation with someone, the three-quarters of Americans who don't believe that the Bible is literal and true and accurate. So we, we need to be more intelligent than just understanding Scripture. We need to understand how to relay that truth properly. We need to be workmen who don't need to be ashamed, who properly handle, correctly handle the word of truth. Somebody say Amen. That was weak, but okay. I guess it was a harder one than I thought. So uh, then this upcoming week right here, right now, we're going to be talking about this. And that is doing is actually greater than talking. Now, this may be new because we do so much talking as if talking is actually doing. But I don't know if you know this or not. Talking is just, but doing is actually, now there's a little sarcasm in that because I'm kind of ticked off. Uh, but I'll, I'll get through that, and you do too. So, in 1986, I realized the call to ministry. I realized that I was not going to be a good lawyer. I realized that selling cars and shoes and and real estate and all the things I felt like I might want to sell that those things were not going to be fulfilling. I realized that building houses and remodeling homes and building bridges that 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 would fall short. And I, I really came to grips with the fact that I'm called to ministry. I'd finished my term in the military. Um, you know, once you get out, you have options, education, money, what I want to be educated for. And I really feel like the Lord said, It's me and you, kid. And I said, I'm in. Like, I, how many guys know that when you're the fat kid who wears glasses that's picked last in kickball, and the king of the universe says, I want you on my team, you say, Yes, sir. It's like exciting. Like, I get to play in your, I get to play varsity. I can't even spell varsity. I don't ever want to do this. And uh, so, but as I looked for preparing for ministry, I went to my pastor. So, how do you prepare for ministry? They said, Well, <clears throat> you apply to a good college. You spend four years learning the hermeneutics of Lucan historiography. You study Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew. And the more they talk, the more I got this feeling in my stomach like, maybe I should sell something. Maybe I should build something. Because what they talked about was four years of academia. Now, let me say this to you. I believe that academics and academia are vital in the body of Christ. But I also believe that God made certain dogs to swim in cold water and others that drown when they hit cold water. My bulldog does not swim. She weighs 75 pounds. She's 12 inches tall at the shoulder. She's 14 inches wide at the shoulder. And if you put her in water, she sinks like a rock. But, but if you throw like, a, like a, a duck dog, a Chesapeake Bay Retriever, I mean, it, the water can be 33 degrees, I kid you not, they've been bred. They have webbed feet. They can swim faster than the ducks they're chasing. You don't need a gun to go duck hunting with a Chesapeake Bay Retriever. They, they just catch them and then put them in their mouths and bring them back. They're tough, they're mean. But how I many of you know, if you throw my dog Charlie into the water, it's, you know, you, you dig a hole in the backyard shortly afterwards to get rid of the smell. But if you throw a Chesapeake Bay Retriever into the water, it swims like a duck. Like, we're not all created to do the same thing. And so the process can be different for each and every one of us. Sometimes we learn in the school of hard knocks, more like a trade school, and that's how I ended up in this place. This is what was called uh, the hangar. It's not called Carmen Hall. Actually, it's not even called that anymore. It's just a storage building that's vacant. Um, it, that was the place where I went, and that was not a classroom. It was, and we learned there. We memorized 520 scriptures during the course of the year. They had to repeat back for the final exam, word for word, comma for comma, exclamation point for exclamation point. If you missed anything, you started all over again from scripture number one and went back until you hit, you know what I mean, just crazy discipline. We prayed there for an hour. We, uh, we, got, we were taught there for an hour. We ate breakfast there for half an hour. But then that classroom became a, a laboratory. We went from that place to the nursing home in the afternoon. And we were chaplains in nursing homes. We learned about life. We went from there to the prisons and the youth detention centers and the outreach, what was called Tent City in Phoenix. Or people from all over the country just lived because of the, the climate intense and the garbage, kind of a skid row of, of Phoenix. We went from the, from the thoughts of Scripture to the actions of Scripture in the same day. It, it wasn't like going to welding school and having to learn the history of French poetry from 1704 to 1796. Because nobody cares about French poetry. The French don't care about French poetry. But you got to learn it to get a degree. But this was trade school. All we learned about was listening to Jesus and obeying. Listening to Jesus and obeying. It was perfect for me. And so I spent a year there. Ten months into the year, the pastor, Pastor Carmen, passed away. And I was hired on to be part of that staff and be the assistant to the incoming director. Um, and I, I spent so I had to spend two years there in what we now call SCMA, which is a brilliant program that does great stuff for our own young people and of any age, really, if you want to go. And, I, and I, remember, I remember that what I needed was not theology, I didn't need just theology or just theoryology. I needed something I could learn in the day that I could do that afternoon. I would learn about healing, and then I'd go to the, the nursing home and i pray for people to be healed. Same day. I didn't know about healing, and then they taught me about healing, and then I prayed for some lady whose eyes were always weeping, always crying. I said, can I pray for you? She's like, for what? I said, your, your face is leaking constantly, and you're not sad. Like, it's gross. I didn't say that, but you know what I mean. I could have said it. She couldn't hear. And, and I, you know, I... She goes, well, what, what do you think God's gonna do? I said, I don't know, but I, I know that if I don't ask, I don't see. So let me let me just ask. She said, okay. So I prayed, she wiped her eyes, they never ran again. I'm like, that's so cool. So I went back the next day to testimony time. Hey, I prayed for this lady's like gross face, and it's not gross anymore. Like you don't want to buy a puppy just to constantly lick it. Like it's just weird. Like it's over with. God healed her eyes. And so I couldn't wait to go to the prison. And pray. I couldn't wait to go to the, to the Youth Detention Center, which is a prison for kids. It's, I, I couldn't wait to go to the street witnessing. I couldn't wait to go to Tent City. Why? Because I was learning it in the morning, and I was doing it in the afternoon. Somebody say amen. Now, I say this because I want you to understand something. Remember, we're laying the foundation for the vision we're going we're gonna to talk about starting Thursday, and then this time next week, Sunday, we'll be doing it as well, 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. So hear me, hear me, hear me. We're laying the foundation. You say, why have these pieces? How do they connect? Trust me, they connect. And they're going to connect wonderfully, I hope, in your life this very next week. But hear me one last time before we introduce what we're talking about doing. Let's talk about doing something. Like, you need to know that following Jesus is not an academic assignment. What is following Jesus? Here's my words. Following Jesus is a wonderful, terrifying, challenging, beautiful, deadly, life-giving journey where God himself becomes your teacher. Now, is that Christianity? I don't know, but, but that's what I thought of when I asked myself, what is Christianity? There's some more eloquent people in history like Spurgeon who said this, I've had to learn to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I know this, if you're gonna follow Jesus, there's gonna be rocks, and there's gonna be waves, and we gotta learn to not just have theology about hard times. How I mean, you know, many of theology is good unless you can't live it? What good is knowledge if the knowledge doesn't produce a cure? if it doesn't produce a solution. So learning the words of the Bible is academic, but it's not the end goal. We're not supposed to be just learning. We're supposed to be living. Let me show you this in Scripture. John says it this way. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. Dear children, let us not... Everybody say not. This is not the way to love. We are not going to love with words or with speech, but with actions and truth. Now let me just show you this. The word love here... It's agapa o, agapeo, agapo, I don't know what it is. I don't, I'm not Greek, it's all Greek to me. But the proper pronunciation is, I am agapa o. I don't know, right? But <laughs> <laughs> what it means, what it means basically is this: I don't think I've ever heard the word agape. Okay, agape, the noun, is agapa o, the verb. So this is it doing. So we're not, when we love, there has to be action. He's very clear. Don't think that it's agape if it ain't moving. If it's not moving, it's the noun of love. But, but don't love with nouns. Love with action. So it isn't about your words, lagas, right, that, which is a noun. See that agape is a verb, Lagos is a noun, and he's being very careful here. If you understood the language, you understood what he's trying to say. There's a picture that's being painted with words. Don't think loving is is verbal only. I'm not saying words have no role in it. But if your love ends with your words, if your passion, if if whatever you are, are doing for God, if it ends with words, he's saying don't love that way. Your love has to have a verb that has to have action, and actually talks about ergon. We know the word ergon because we studied it when we studied Ephesians 2.10, where God's workmanship, his poema, remember that, his poem, that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Ergon, same word. We are created in Christ Jesus to do ergon. We're created to love as a verb. We are not ever going to be satisfied with talking about love because we were created to do love, not talk about it. Does this make sense? So basically this, doing is greater than talking. It is an incomplete act to love with words. Ergon is greater than laga. So if we look at this this way, I want us to get into some more scripture because I think, I think the Bible should bear this out if this is true. Somebody say amen. Last week, my sermon went long. it had too many points in it. I promised you that this week's sermon would be almost pointless, and here we are. It's a one-pointer, and this is it. Look at this. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is Lagos. In the beginning was the Lagos, that which is established, that which is written, that which is true. Um, the law of Moses is called the Lagos. The, uh, the, the rules uh, of the kingdom uh, the, is, is called Lagos. So in the beginning was what was true, what was real. And the Word, the Lagos, was with God, and the Word was God. Now, let me just say this. How many of you guys know that that could be the end? And It was. Prior to Jesus, God spoke, Moses wrote, people were supposed to do. But when God spoke and Moses wrote, people weren't able to do. And so there had to be something else. The word being sent a second time, God didn't say to Jesus, now go back and tell him, no, I really meant those first 10. That's a big deal. Get on it. He came and did something. Look at this. The word became flesh. Verse 14, the logos changed from word to flesh. Does this make sense? Oh, follow me. This is going to be good. Became flesh, made his dwelling among us, and we've seen something. Something was displayed. Something happened. There was a verb at some point. That verb created the glory of God, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, when John is summing up the, the gospel of John, his story about the good news of Jesus, he starts with the word... Verse 14, became flesh. Now let's go all the way to the end of the book, and he's going to close out, and he's going to... How many of you know that the opening of your story is important, and the ending of your story is important, and everything in between can be a Hallmark movie for all I care, but it's got to get your attention and make its point. It has to illustrate its point, and then it finalizes. Here's the final point of the Gospel of John. Jesus what? Jesus spoke. Jesus thought. Jesus tweeted. What do you do? Jesus... He did many other things as well. And if every one of those things, there were so many of them, if they were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Hear me again. The Word became flesh. The flesh did something. What the flesh did glorified God. Do you see that? So speaking, everybody hear me. Speaking is not enough. Speaking is not enough. Look, look what Jesus' brother, James, says about the same topic. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. They're hungry and they're naked. They're having a bad day and, and maybe a bad month and maybe a bad year, or maybe a bad season, but they're going through it, right? They're in a vulnerable place, and if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, deserves a slap in the, in the face with knuckles, right? I've solved it. I blessed you with my words. Look what he says. But does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? He's saying the same thing that Jesus was saying, that John was saying, that that, that everybody's saying. Everything that is word must take on flesh so that flesh can do what it's created to do. Love with words is not love. Love must take on flesh, and flesh must do some stuff. He goes so far, 10 verses later, he says this. As the body without the spirit is dead absent from life not opposite but absent from life so faith without deeds is dead beautifully quiet either this is really deep and you're getting there it's like i wonder if mega's open i wonder who's calling that person <laughs> let me sum it up hear me what we believe must become what we say yeah because we believe with our heart we confess with our mouth that's that's salvation But beyond salvation, there's a Christian life. Beyond the wedding, there's a marriage. Does this make sense? The the wedding is a gift. We, We believe in our heart. We confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord. We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We're saved. But once the wedding is over with, there's a marriage that lives out in verb form, the noun of our vows. Or... Never mind, I won't go or, because we're talking about marriage, right? What we believe must become what we say, and what we believe and say must become what we do, yes? Here's my final statement on this, or it doesn't matter what we believe, and it doesn't matter what we say. I want to say this well. I'll just say it this way. The word had to become flesh 2,000 years ago. Had to. There was no other way for us to understand how to live unless Jesus came and lived for us and be for us and die for us and teach us all that love was. Love had to be more than words that God had sent on Mount Sinai to Moses. Love had to become flesh and walk among us and show us the glory of the Father. No less today the word has to become flesh through God's sons and God's daughters or it doesn't matter what we say and it doesn't matter what we believe. We are facing some big problems. We are facing some big problems. And and although maybe your mind went to politics or your mind went to social unrest, your mind went to stimulus checks or your mind went to China or your mind went to MSNBC, Fox News. Um, what's the other one? CNN, you know, CBS, ABC, just BS, whatever, whatever these things are. Just, I don't know. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. But I did. A <laughs> lot of words, isn't there? A lot of, lot of strong, passionate opinions. Can I tell you what the world's waiting for? Someone to shut up and just do it. Someone to not talk about what love is and what love isn't and who deserves it. Someone that will just love Will have more authority in the room than someone who talks about what's wrong with love and those who don't don't love and those who do love and who's who decides what love is i believe if there's any group that is primed to be influential in this next year it is it is not a political party it is the body of christ we are being shaken and it's hard to sleep through being shaken i know i've had two-year-olds On Christmas morning, I could pretend I'm asleep, but I'm not. You know why? Because JD's jumping on my head, (laughs) yelling, it's Christmas, it's Christmas, it's Christmas. And I'm like, bam, bam, bam. When you are shaken, you are awakened. And and I'm not saying we've had it easy. I'm not saying we're going to have it hard. I'm saying this. The equation really hasn't changed. We've been sent from another world with a message for this one. We are embodying the good news. I I made a comment the week before the election that that told me that we were going to be okay. Uh, Your reaction, my comment didn't tell me. (laughs) I wasn't sure how you'd react. But I talked about socialism. I had to be very careful because it sounded like maybe I was talking about voting one party or the other party. I gave my word then that I was not. I gave my word now. Not that it matters; the election's over with. But I gave my word now. I'm not. This is not political. But I talked about socialism and the need for socialism to function. It must be the primary. It must be greater than the home. It must be greater than the church. It must be greater than industry. It must be greater than media. For socialism to work, it has to be almost as if it were God. Does that make sense? Can you understand my concerns about about socialism? That makes sense? Okay. But I also made this statement because I wanted to balance it out. I believe, and this is where you you gave me this confirmation that I believe we're going to be okay. I said, but I believe with all my heart that socialism would be a lot less attractive if the church got a lot better at loving its neighbor. Because we wouldn't look to other places for solutions if the church was the solution in the world. Not, Not another voice complaining, not another voice being irritated and agitated so we can be activated to cast a ballot. But if the church was actually literally the sons and daughters of God taken on flesh to display the glory of God, wow, we could do some good in this world if we weren't careful. We could help some people because we have answers. And and I'll say this piano guy, join me if you will. Um, We have big problems uh, to solve, and the world is looking for people. Hear me, and I want to say this well, and I don't want to be a broken record. I feel like I say this all the time. And as soon as you get it, I'll stop saying it. There, we've made a deal. We're not here to throw mud. We're not here to point out fault. We're not the accuser of anybody. Light does expose things that are hidden in darkness, yes? But it doesn't take pleasure in their pain. It it actually, we pray for those who oppose us, for those who persecute us, for our enemies. We actually are not just called to pray for them. We're called to love them with words and deeds and verbs, right? And in doing this, we're praying that that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, that they'll come to their senses, that they'll see what can be seen. Well, that's not going to be seen because of an argument. That's going to be seen because of an action. I, you know, they're going to take away the church's nonprofit tax-exempt status. Excuse me. I don't give to God because I get a tax write-off for it anyway. They're going to strip our... I'm not, maybe they do, maybe they don't. But they'll never strip the commandment Jesus gave us to be light and salt on the earth. They can't take that away. Well, you got you to have the right pronouns nowadays. You're going to be... Stop. I, I'm not saying that's not a real issue. I'm saying that's not the issue for which Jesus died. Or was risen from the dead, or sent the Holy Spirit to the church. So we get at all the issues, and and we'll get all diluted here. But we need to live above the mud. Let me say it again: We need to live above the mud. I'm not sure. We got big problems. I'm not sure what is our fault. I'm not sure what my what I'm responsible for. Am I to blame for this? Am I should I've spoken up more? Should I have voted better? Should I have you know? Should we just what am I? I don't know. But I know this: that if I am response able. Then I am called to do something about the needs that come before me. If I'm able to respond, then I am response able. What's my fault? I don't know. I'm not going to waste my time saying what's my fault. That's yesterday. I'm looking towards eternity. I am saying this: that as needs come my way, if I am response able, I am responsible. I'm not here to argue. Just say this: you're not here to argue. You're here to instruct. Your knowledge and your ways are higher than the knowledge and the ways of this world. You're not here to complain. You're actually here to build. You're not here to dissolve. You're here to solve. You're you're not here to become bitter. You're here because God wants to make things better. That should be a bumper sticker. We are God's solutions, having taken on flesh and dwelling among them to the problems of mankind. That's who we are. And I just, I'm going to give you one last thought. What time is it? I still got 15 minutes. Don't look at your watch. I'm your pastor. Trust me. You might have heard this illustration, but it really, it really works here. World War II, the, the Allies realized that high-altitude bombing was the only way to destroy the, the war machine that Germany was. They couldn't, they couldn't build enough bombers. They couldn't build enough... Germany got a 10-year head start on the rest of the world that was still tired from World War I. While we were decommissioning things and scrapping them, they were building a military that was second to none on the planet. And if it wasn't them, it was the Japanese that had done the same thing. So they realized the only way to end the, the endless guns, the endless ammunition, the end, is to end the factories that created those things. And so a campaign of high-altitude bombing uh, was conceived but they didn't have the technology. They didn't have the Norton bomb site. They didn't have uh, planes that could fly on that little oxygen. And so one of the Great Britain uh, high altitude bomber pilots was in the stripped down experiment of a plane. And he's going to altitudes. He's on oxygen. He's, he's taken to an altitude that that would that would be sufficient. But nobody had been there before. This is like this is like landing on the moon only in the 1940s. It was that much of an achievement. And he's going higher and higher and higher and higher. He, and he's all alone because why waste two test pilots? It doesn't take two people to fly a plane and die. One person can do it just as well, dying just as terribly, right? As he's flying, the story goes, he looks over and there's a high pressure fuel line running from the tanks on the wings past him to the motors that are on the front and on both wings. And as he looks over, he sees a rat, not a mouse, a rat has gotten on board the plane and is gnawing on one of the fuel lines. Well, we all know what happens, right? If that rat gets through that pressurized fuel line, The whole cockpit now is filled with vaporized, flammable, explosive gas, airplane fuel, high-octane stuff. And as soon as it hits any spark, the whole thing blows up, and everything's wrong. So I don't know about you, but he's he's about three-quarters of the way to his altitude. When I see that rat, the first thing I'm going to do is scream like a little girl. The second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to put that plane into a dive I am just. I'm getting down to sea level, and I am going to land that plane. I'm going to run out and, as manly as I can, say something along the lines of "Kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it," and hope that there's some woman there that's braver than I am that'll kill the rat. Spiders, I'm okay. Rats, no. Poodles, no. Same reason. They're just weird and small and teeth, gross. So I. That would be my solution. How about you? Let's get this thing back on the ground, and we'll fight it at sea level. You know what he did? He did just the opposite. He pressurized those fuel lines more. He floored every engine he had. He pulled back on the yoke, and within just a couple of minutes, not 15 minutes to the ground, within three minutes, he'd taken the plane to an altitude.